Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Glad you're with us. Final hour is here. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. You can follow us on Twitter at Outkick 360. With Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. David Reed is the chairman of the board. Jakob Swanson makes the show happen. Ellie Sylvia, the great production assistant today. The Vols did not fare so well last night. Now, you could say on one hand, tie game, final shot. Chance to win it at the buzzer. You have a very high percentage shooter taking that shot for Tennessee. That's the optimist. No. That game was hard to watch. Yes. And if you ever needed somebody to just throw it inside, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but some of the, the way they were trying to back down to the paint last night, it just it was not having it against uh, Texas Tech was not having it. And 43s attempted in that game, six made three-point attempts for Tennessee. They're not going to get worse shooting the basketball than that, at least you would hope. But, Chad, I would also hope that when it comes tournament time, they've got somebody that can step up and make a shot like they had last night when they just needed a bucket in well, regulation. Gonna, obviously, they're going to have to shoot a little bit better than that to even discuss tournament time uh, with this team. They were a 37% three-point shooting team coming into this game. So it's not as if they're a bad three-point shooting team. Uh, that was an atrocity uh, uh, from a shooting standpoint. John Fulkerson is so hit or miss in terms of his ability to give him the ball with his back to the basket and to make something happen. If he's not getting foul calls early in a game, he goes into a shell. And I say that as the one guy on Tennessee's team who had double digits. He was the only player that had 10 points last night. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was a bad shooting performance all around. Tech, Texas Tech had 15 points the whole second half. They went 10 minutes without scoring a basket also. You can say good defense, and both of those teams are top five in Ken Palm's adjusted defense for the season. So those are two very good defensive teams. But ultimately, it was Tennessee just having this infectious, missing open shots, free throws they couldn't hit. Hell, Josiah Jordan-James had a breakaway layup where it looks like he tore both ACLs on the approach and just hit the deck. His ankle gave out it on could it. Not, it could not His score a layup buckled. on it. It was it was a very uh, odd game. Lucky he got up. I wasn't expecting him to get up with the way he hit the, hit like the deck. Well, Jay Billis said, I hope he's not hurt. The immediate thing he thought was he hurt something uh, on the approach. Not a good outlook uh, for the balls. Now, around the corner, they've got Memphis. And I'm hoping that we get a great crowd here at Bridgestone Arena on December the 18th for that matchup. Um, but as they go into conference play, Chad, I'm watching uh, teams around the conference have some really highlight moments. Alabama winning over Gonzaga, for instance. Nate Oates has got that team rolling right now. There's a little swagger to the Crimson Tide. Um, I hope by the time we actually see conference play for Tennessee – they have some sense of swagger. Well, when they Tennessee, the look, they've got they, plenty they played of, tight last night. They got plenty of opportunities. They, they've done this twice now where they could not hit an open look. Villanova 
in Texas Tech. They lost both games. This is going to be a recurring theme, and it's this way for a lot of teams that, that are high-volume three-point shooters like Tennessee. They've got the players to get it done. They also have a win over North Carolina, which that win looks a lot better after North Carolina blew out Michigan at home. They've got a win at Colorado, which is going to be a really good win as this year goes on. That's Colorado only has two losses on the season. They get Arizona, who's going to be top 10 in the country when they come to Knoxville. They get them three days before Christmas. Memphis should have been an opportunity for a big win. That's an opportunity for a bad loss at this point, yeah. the way Memphis has played. Um, they're going to have other opportunities. They get Texas out of conference during SEC play. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for, for big wins uh, for Tennessee in the non-conference. You couldn't get shut out of those. You also need to get another one. I'm not saying win all of them and be in good shape. You win one more of these. They beat Arizona, need to beat Memphis. If they can get another one of those types of win going into conference play, that's going to serve them well. They got to get John Fulkerson back to being John Fulkerson of the end of last season before the injury. And he was bad for most of last season until the last stretch. Then he's got the face in injury with the yeah. elbow against Florida. He hurts his hand in the preseason. They got to get Josiah Jordan James back healthy, even though he had the three to tie it in the final minute. Get your other big guy out of the doghouse. There's some things. in Urosh Plavsic, I don't understand the amount of minutes he plays down low. I, I don't. Rick Barnes, as Dan Dockage said, he's not going to question Rick Barnes. He's a better coach than him. He's certainly a better coach than I. But I don't understand five-star freshman, 6'9", power forward, Brandon Huntley-Hatfield playing four minutes in a game where no big guy could do anything. Olivier Kamwa, who's been very improved and good this year, doesn't play after a few minutes in the first half after starting. Just odd that they went with those lineups thinking they really like Kennedy Chandler and Zakai Ziegler in the same backcourt, the two little guys, which I get the way they've both played at times, but they needed to do something different last night than they were doing. And I'm amazed it went to overtime. I was amazed it was within reach the way they were yeah. shooting threes oh, yeah. late. Because I think Texas Tech is going to be pretty good as the year goes on. But it, it was, I mean, you're right. There's no other way around it. That was awful to watch. That was bad on the eyes from a basketball perspective. Paul, the Titans are back at it for uh, practice today, coming off their bye week, preparing for Jacksonville, which will be in town on Sunday for week 14. Uh, practice today, Vrabel and Tannehill made available. What are some of the headlines, news and notes from the practice field? Well, both of them talked a lot about the season's just start. Uh, everything they've done till now doesn't really mean anything, and it's all about December and January uh, football. And we've heard, we've heard that kind of uh, thinking before uh healthier but not healthy tommy hudson out uh janoris jenkins out david long the most concerning on this list still out with that hamstring elijah molden uh out with a hip that's new tier tart out with an ankle danico autry and harold landry both limited still so they're not all the way back um uh, Kevin Byard off the COVID list, feeling well, said he was asymptomatic the whole time, but his family was not, and everybody tested positive. So his kids, sick for a while. His wife sounded like she had a few bad days. That sucks for them. Uh, Zach Cunningham, we talked about earlier. Uh, I, I'm just thinking now, you know, he's, he's going to get claimed by somebody on waivers before the Titans' turn comes around. But never mind this year and David Long. I was just thinking – 
you know, I don't expect Jayon Brown to be re-signed. He's got a dead year or two tacked on to the year they signed him for. Rashawn Evans is going to be out the door. They drafted Monty Rice, but if you had a David Long and Zach Cunningham as your starting two linebackers going forward beyond this year, that and Monty Rice is your third. There's that some would talk be nice. that that teams will pass on Cunningham on the waiver wire because of how the contract reads. It's not about uh, uh, what he's owed this some year. Kind of injury guarantee beyond a, this there's year. There's a ten million dollar injury guarantee for next year on on the on the books for next year. So if you're claiming him, it's not like it's down the road where you're going to get a year or two on the, on the deal and then then you could just cut him loose and and eat the money later on the dead money. This is immediately he would have the $10 million injury guarantee. For next year. For next year, for next season. So, I mean, if he comes to be a free agent and he's picking his team, I wonder if the the Titans would be interested in that because you'd get five games out of him this year plus playoffs, but then he could be your second starting linebacker next year. It would be, if they did pick, sign him, then it would be uh, an evaluation of Monty Rice. For those that don't know, Cunningham played at Vandy. Uh, so again, there's there's the connection to Nashville through Vanderbilt, through Vanderbilt, Chad, uh, that maybe that could could help the Titans in that regard. A lot of optimism about Julio Jones, who practiced today. I retweeted one of the videos of him. Uh, the running at the end of it is key. He looks all right. It's hard to be optimistic about a guy running well on a Wednesday after disappearing yeah. for a month. So um, you know. I know everybody's fingers are crossed that are rooting for this team to resurface and and to get some juice. And uh, one thing I wrote about today, they've screened a lot better and uh, and a lot more probably than any time I could remember, but a lot more than last year uh, already. They've screened successfully a lot more than last year, and they've got five games left to do it this year. And Jeremy McNichols coming out of that concussion is their best guy on that. They've got very few ways we know of of coming up with explosive plays um, with receivers who can't run past anybody. Uh, a couple of those screens have been among their explosive plays in the meantime. Hopefully they could keep figuring out ways to get, get those plays working because the offensive line getting out in front of that have produced some pretty good plays. Speaking of Vanderbilt, you brought them up. Year three of the Stackhouse era going a lot like years one and two yeah. so far. They, they lose got to into Temple. overtime as well. Attendance-wise or something else? Well, Both. Oh. They lose to a bad Temple team last night who's got some really bad losses already this year. And Vandy was down nine with about a minute and a half left and stormed back to tie it on a buzzer-beating three by Scottie Pippen Jr. And I'm thinking now team? they're going to go in and win it in overtime, and Temple wins in overtime. I don't so know. They have, lo- they, have a, they have a game where they scored 36 points the entire game, speaking of bad offense, in a loss to VCU. They had 39 with three minutes left last night, worse than Tennessee in their game against uh, Texas Tech. And then they end up losing to Temple. So they have a loss at SMU. They were up 12 at halftime at SMU, lost by 12. And then they have the home losses to Temple and VCU and not a single good win so far on the schedule. They won at Pitt, but Pitt is terrible. I would hope some people trickled in after the picture that you showed us that was, what, five minutes before tip? If not... 5,000? I mean, what are you hoping for? No, I... <laughs> you hope 5,000 trickled in? <laughs> no, I, I'm saying if if a couple hundred people didn't trickle in before that, after that, they could have played in the practice game. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they could have gone to the practice facility and played that game. Yeah, otherwise, you're, you're uh, burning electricity for no reason. And that's, and that's not Mississippi <laughs> Valley State. That's Temple. 
who's got a basketball tradition, right? Yeah. I mean, that's one you would think some people might want to go and watch. I don't blame them. They've won five SEC games in three years in the regular season, but man, oh man, is it is it bad. And then the question for Stackhouse becomes, he's got a very good recruiting class coming in next year. So how much is that the sales pitch? Just wait a year. Finally, well, recruiting started How many started years have we been waiting four. a year? Well, it doesn't well, sound story. like it doesn't sound like Candace Story Lee wants to make a move anytime soon. He's making on how money, she talks huh? about him. Again, I think that they're just going to see what happens this year and hold on for dear life and hope they sign everyone that they have coming in the following year because they actually have a good recruiting class. Long wait. Which do you guys think would be more difficult? Um, and maybe it's an easy answer, but maybe not. So coming off a of bye week. And, and trying to sustain momentum that you built prior to the bye, or limping into the bye week, dropping a couple of games, regrouping, self-scouting, and then gearing back up after the bye. And let me give an example. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals had a bye week. They came out of the bye week riding high, taking on a bad football team in the elements, took on the Chicago Bears, in the elements, and they picked off Andy Dalton four times and picked up right where they left off before they took a week off. Uh, normally, when you gear down, it's hard to gear up and immediately start hitting at all cylinders. You can win games, but hit on the same rate that you were. Arizona did it, and they did it on the road. The Titans dropped two straight. Uh, they are still still expected to win the AFC South. They're trying to improve and adjust some things that are not going in their favor. They now host a really bad team, just like the Cardinals played a really bad team. They host Jacksonville. So do you think it's easier or harder to to come out of the gates against a bad opponent after a bye week when you've been playing bad or playing good? Again, because teams cool off. It's about, I, it's about playing right at the right time. I'd rather take my chances having played well. Well, of course, but I'm, I'm giving you two, two scenarios. Well, I think with two examples. I think this scenario is what's best for the Titans in that we now twice you've seen the lo- lowest form of this team mm-hmm. against the Jets and the Texans. You saw what obviously, you know, big turnovers will do to you in a game where otherwise you're playing pretty well in a road game against the Patriots where you get blown out because of the turnovers and to have a week to regroup. I, I think Hutton with every team, it doesn't matter as much. I think we've seen with this Titans team that does have a tendency to play up and down at times based on competition, that it does help them that I think it helps them to have that extra week to prepare for a Jacksonville team that otherwise sometimes, granted, it's Jacksonville. That seems to be the one bad team they always get up for because they own them. But otherwise... Maybe it's another letdown type performance uh, for the Titans. For instance, the Bucks were playing. They they went into their bye week losing, came out of the bye week and lost. Yep. I I expect the Titans to rebound here with a combination of health, bad and opponent. opponent, and Vrabel's tendency to play well off off a bye. Yeah. Plus having fair. lost to two bad opponents already. You asking Arizona, well three. Arizona as the counter. I mean, they've they've gotten healthy at two important positions, so I like their positioning. I mean, a if lot. they lose to Jacksonville, thank God the Lions aren't on the schedule, or they would lose to the four worst teams in the league, because this would be three of the four, and they don't have the Lions this year. 
And Jacksonville ran it on them well in the first meeting. Well, and that's something interesting that Jeffrey Simmons said today. You know, he was asked about the rematch scenario, and he said, the one thing about a rematch against a team you've played already is you know they're going to run the plays they had success with against you again. There's no reason for them not to. So he's expecting to see the successful run plays again. And if you don't play them better, you're going to see them again until you play them better. We love the the process discussion. That's what we're about to have in our next segment. Brad Lampley is the chairman, uh, chairman of the board of the Music City Bowl. And he's about to hop in studio with us. We will go through the process of bowl selection, not just for the Music City Bowl, but period. Uh, for instance, Penn State ends up in a bowl in Florida. I know Penn State was a team rumored here. They end up with Purdue. They're going to sell this game out. It's going to be great. But the discussion of how you pivot whenever teams are selected elsewhere or choose to go elsewhere and how much conferences play a massive role in all of this. The behind-the-scenes look at bowl preparation and selection next on OutKick 360. December 30th. Tennessee and Purdue, the Transperfect Music City Bowl right here in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome back to 6th and Peabody. Outkick 360 rolls on with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, and this guy right here, Brad Lampley, on the board for the Music City Bowl. He does so many different things. Uh, <laughs> great to see you, Lampley. Good to see you. How are you? Welcome to 6th and Peabody. What do you think of the studio? I, I love it. I was just saying it's a little bit of a departure from where we were this time last year. You <laughs> won't say anything else about bad, that. Really. Not bad. <laughs> Brad, you're a big part of this. I just want these, uh, you help build. Look around right now. Look at I what you've created. I've got no outkick quarter zip. I've got no uh, free moonshine <laughs> I mean, yet. Whatever Nothing. whatever you want, Brad. If, we mentioned it yesterday. We'll say it again. Our legal representation also. So we are legally bound to have him on the show. At least twice a year, twice and um, a, year, right. a big a big reason that uh, we're here in this fine studio right now. Good so, spot. so thank this you. is a really cool studio. You helped so. us kick off the college football season. You were with us in Knoxville for yeah. week one, yeah. and uh, here we are in bowl season. Um, and you got two teams that I know the bowl committee wanted. I mean, yeah, uh, Purdue's going to travel well. They had a great year, and Tennessee's in state and coming off of a year where there's a lot of hype around Heupel and that offense. And, uh, and how competitive they were. Well, and one of the, I think, the most beloved Tennessee teams in recent memory, right, in terms of the way the fans yeah. embrace the team and what they've done. You know, we talked about that the uh, – here we go. Sorry there about you go. that. You're good. We talked about that in the, uh, at the initial interview, you know, which was – which you know, this team was – if ever a team deserved to be called the Tennessee Volunteers, it was this team right here because it's so easy now to transfer and go elsewhere. And, and these young men stayed. And they all had opportunities to go elsewhere. They didn't. And – you know they uh, they rallied. They played great for this coaching staff and and played hard. Fans loved them. And so between them and Purdue, it's it's a pretty good matchup. We're excited, Brad. I think it's so important to get two teams that are excited. Right. You know, two obviously for the bottom line, two fan bases that are excited are really important. We joke about you don't know how to pick bowl games because quite oftentimes you get one team who maybe isn't as into it. True. As the other one. Yeah. Of all the matchups. At this at this level of bowl game, this feels like one where both teams are involved in it and want to win, and both fan bases are excited to be in Nashville and in a bowl game. Yeah, Would you agree? No, you're so right. Purdue loves Nashville. They brought I think twenty twenty five thousand more that last time that they came down, um, and they want to wash that taste out of their mouth. Last they want to wash the taste Auburn. out of their mouth. And you know, I just look back at this. I, they. 
they have not won nine games since 2003. So they're sitting wow, at eight wow. and four right now. So they got a chance to have an unbelievable season, you know, by, by their standards. And they've beaten two top five teams this year. So I mean, this is a good football team coming in. And of course, Tennessee, I mean, it's just, you know, the story just continues to, 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 to build. I mean, you know, with what Josh Heupel has done over there and the culture he's building and the fan support, it's, it's, no, it's just, you, you like this a whole lot better than a team that loses four games in a row down the stretch and that you're trying to go, okay, well, they had a rough finish, but we're going to try to get fired fall up. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is an exciting one on both sides, so that's that's the kind of matchup you want. You know, UT's uh, got a quality player who's not going to play in the game as he gets ready yep. uh, for the uh, pre-draft mm-hmm. stuff. Um, now Purdue's got two guys declaring for the draft, but not yet saying if they're going to play in the in the bowl game or not. That's going on all over yeah. the place. Mm-hmm. Does, does it factor into bowl stuff at all, or is it just kind of a bowl fact of life? That's a great point. It's a bowl fact of life. You, you just you deal with it. You know what you worry about though is is this team going to have its coach for that bowl game, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and you see that so much. I mean, I mean Notre Dame um, for the best example. So no, you, you worry about that. But yeah, and I, I think it's it kind of ends up being a mix. It feels like you know some of the. Really good players that are maybe getting ready for the draft. Some of them, you know, usually about half and half. Half will play and half won't. And and you you're excited to have the guys that are going to be there, but you don't begrudge the ones that don't. I mean, that's just a personal decision they've got to make, and along with the coaches and so forth. And so you know, it is what it is. Brad, you have a big part in this bowl game every year, and and for a while you've done this and 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 work hard on it. But you're not the sole decision maker about the teams that come oh, no, here because no. I have to say. This feels like the Lampley Bowl uh, <laughs> with your alma mater, who your son is a contributor on the offensive line for Tennessee, facing off against your former high school teammate yeah. that was your quarterback in high school right. in Jeff Brom, the head coach at Purdue. This is a real family affair uh, for the Lampleys, I feel like, coming to your bowl game. It's a cool deal. Um, I'm not saying there's any impropriety or anything to get these teams here. I'm just saying <laughs> I feel like this is saying. kind of yeah, perfect yeah, yeah, for yeah. you. Yeah, I, th- I think he is saying that, PK. Yeah, this uh, is kind no, of perfect. It, it is. It's, it's really cool. I mean, the Purdue side, we had Jeff a few years ago uh, when we had them play against Auburn, and obviously as soon as the game was over, he sent me a text and go, I promise you the next time we're going to play better. And and But, you know, Jeff is the – the best player my dad ever coached in high school, and that that includes me. Unfortunately, uh, as I point out, Jeff's jersey is retired at Trinity. Mine is not, and so uh, and I don't think there's a real movement to get number seventy five retired. So we'll just leave that alone. But yeah, and then obviously on the other side, I mean, you know, um, it's cool from a parent standpoint because you've got you know my son was raised to bleed orange and and has was in fourth grade the year that Tennessee played North Carolina. They put a second on the clock. North Carolina, oh, yeah. you know, that, that by the way, I had to take him out to the middle of the field to dodge the whiskey bottles that were coming out of the stands <laughs> that night. Uh, people see this this old Miss thing. I'm just telling you, it's, we, we've been there before. And so, uh, you know, he, he was you know fourth grader, very upset about the way the game had turned out, hated that his balls got beat, and now there's a chance that – and now it looks like he's going to be playing in the game, you know, barring injury or something like that. So it's 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 really cool. We're still, my wife and I are still trying to figure out. We're just trying to process it all. It's 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 a it's a cool moment. What what is the process like? Of so, tell me, take me through a board meeting. Yeah, and they, are they presenting different options? And you guys say, hey, here's what I like. Here's here's what may not make sense. Are you predicting coaching movements? What all goes into it? So our executive director, Scott Ramsey, who I think is the best bowl executive director in the business, he he will really convene the selection committee about a month out. 
and the selection committee is comprised of board members and folks from a sponsor, TransPerfect. And, you know, what you're really trying to do is figure out, okay, who is, who is in our mix and who is not? I mean, usually a month out, you know, you're probably not going to have Georgia and Alabama in the mix. Right. And by a month out, I mean a month before the SEC championship right. weekend because that's where they select everything. Uh, you go through there, you go through that process, you start to narrow it down. As we often say at the meetings, it's clear as mud, you know, four weeks out. And then it begins to take better shape as you get closer to the to the time. And then usually about a week out, you've got a really good sense about, okay, here are the two or three teams or we're going to have in our mix. What's our preference? What's their preference? You know, different conferences do it differently. The SEC has got sort of a, of a pool. It's a matchmaking, if you will. And, and you give input, and the schools give input, and then you see what comes out at the end. With the Big Ten, it's, it's almost, hey, it's a selection. Here's who you got to choose from and, and who do you want. So it's, uh, you try to kind of prioritize that to where on Sunday, this past Sunday, when you make the selections, you're as ready to go as you can be. So in the Big Ten, who's ahead of you and who's behind you bowl-wise for that selection? Yeah, so, so it, it depends based on the year. What we did was with the Big Ten, the Big Ten said, we don't want to share any more cities with you guys, so we want to be in Nashville and only Nashville. We don't want you to share us with another conference. So, so that was great. They gave us an elevated selection position. We slid into where the, uh, the Holiday Bowl used to be with the Big Ten, which was great. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, we got Outback above us. We've got this year Las Vegas was above us, but, but in a couple of years it, it changes. You know, it, so it, it, every year varies based on some contractual terms and so forth. And then, of course, in the SEC, you've got this pool of bowls that Commissioner Slive came up with a few years ago because people got tired and said, well, why did we slide all the way down to Bowl X? The idea was let's put together about five NFL cities, you know, Tampa and Nashville and Jacksonville and Charlotte and Houston and, and, and Memphis as well. We'll put those all together, and then it's at that point the conference gets to play matchmaker and, and, and sends them different places based on matchup, you know, geographic, what makes the geographic sense, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a so lot of almost, factors. You're almost a lobbyist to the conference at that point on who you want. There's a lot of lobbying. There's a ton of lobbying. And, I mean, I'm a lobbyist at the state legislature, and, yeah. and I don't see as much lobbying as I see the bowl stuff. <laughs> Do you pretty much know after the final regular – after Thanksgiving weekend, yeah. after the final regular season week, do you pretty much know it's, it's going to be this team in this conference and then it's going to be either or with this – based on a little bit of jockeying the final week, or is it still very much a mystery at times with the jockeying back and forth when you get to that Sunday where you well, know what bowl you have? And, and Scott talks all week to the other executive directors. I mean, you know, all, all the time. So, so he's got a sense about what they're thinking, what we're thinking, and, and there's a lot of shared information. So you do have a sense, but as we've learned in, in the past, that every time you think you've got it, okay, it's going to be this team and nobody else, something at the end will change. And so a lot of times you see things reported by these, you know, the national reporters on Sunday afternoon. It's confirmed that, that you know, this school is going to go to, to this bowl. And until you get the call from the commissioner, and, and it's a call from Commissioner Sankey, you don't really know for sure. And, and you can't, you know, you can't guarantee it and get, get set up for that. So it's a, it's a, um, you think you've got definitive direction, but then a lot of times you, you don't. That SEC part of it where you're talking about five or six venues, how much of a factor is it how recently a particular school has been to a particular site and trying to avoid having the same team in the same place twice it's, in three or four yeah. years? No, it's a great question, and it's a big factor. I mean, I mean, when I was at UT, we, we went to the Citrus Bowl three out of four years. Remember the Spurrier line, you can't spell Citrus without UT. The, the, the new process, especially in the SEC, is designed to try to prevent that. And so they'll look at that. You know, we had Mississippi State a couple of years ago here. Probably wouldn't be a good fit for, for Mississippi State, you know, again, this year, next year, you know, maybe a little bit down the road. And so, so you try to avoid teams that kind of come to place all the time. 
with us, this is just the, I believe, the third time we've had Tennessee in 24 years. So people just assume, okay, Nashville, they probably get Tennessee all the time, and, and we don't. And as, there's some years where Tennessee is a great match for us, a great fit both ways. Some years it's probably not. And so uh, I think, you know, Tennessee obviously wouldn't be coming back here next year. And so, you know, that's, that's the way the whole thing will go. But it's a big part of it. Was the biggest surprise uh, a couple of years ago with Tennessee and the Tax Slayer Bowl and the last-minute jockeying that went on where I know it led to a lot of Tennessee fans jumping out buying tickets for the Music City Bowl and then they weren't there and there was reports out, like you said, from people that they were going to be there. Was that the biggest up-in-the-air final-minute decision that you've faced? That was an interesting day. We'll just leave uh, it at that. Yes, it was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and look, you... Let me ask you to you this one. He's like, Chad, move on. Yeah. Um, dealing with, with Danny White at, at mm-hmm. Tennessee, right? Uh, obviously, the previous AD was your coach, which is a very different dynamic sure. in, in Philip Fulmer. Everything I hear about Danny White is that this guy does not involve himself in the sport part of it at all. He lets coaches coach. He's not around it. He is a business and a marketing guy. Yeah. And that's it. What was it like dealing with him, or what's your what's your interactions been with him like? Is it very business, marketing, promotion centered around everything? You know, that's really more of a question for Scott Ramsey. Scott dealt with him, you know, with Danny a lot last week. I think Scott came out of it being pretty impressed with Danny, and you know the way he's going about everything. But but yeah, I don't know. I think what I've experienced with Danny, um, the conversations that we've had, and we've we've been together a few times now since he's had the job, is you know. Uh, Really impressed with his vision and the way he's going to run the program. And, and he's got a, a big-picture mentality. He knows where he wants to take the program. Fundraising is obviously going to be very important. You can't fund, you, if you can't fundraise anymore, you get got all kinds of problems. The, the things he's doing with Neyland, the things he's doing with the baseball stadium. So he's, I think, very, very much a, a, a business-minded AD. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I don't – I also think it's a bit of a misnomer to say, well, he didn't really care about the athletic side because I think he he was you know relatively engaged in the process last week, uh, you know, in in Atlanta and, and leading up to it. And I think um, I, you know I think he's pretty excited to be here in Nashville. I think he feels like it's a good fit. I know a lot of the folks around him do, you know, in terms of the assistant ads and so forth and the coaches. So uh, you know, again, it seems to be the right year to get Tennessee. Brad Lampley, our guest in studio with us, he's on the board for the Transper- Transperfect Music City Bowl. Uh, just speaking of time slots and, and slotting of the mm-hmm. balls, uh, television, yep. uh, as far as Music City Bowl on, 3, three o'clock-ish, uh, middle of the day on that Thursday, December 30, is that a great time slot for you guys? And in, in, in between, what that, that's a four-pack of games, I believe, Chad, yeah. as we looked at it. You're coming out of the Belt, belt Bowl, North Carolina, South Carolina, straight into Music City. Yeah, and then we've got, I guess, is it the Peach that we've got after us? Or I, I think so. Who it was. I, I, think I think that's right. You got the Peach Bowl that yeah, night. That's right. That's and right. And then the Vegas Bowl. And, and and so that's always big for us too. Is is you know, because to your sponsor, ratings are, are, right. are paramount, especially when it's a, a national sponsor, national company like like Transperfect. Um, so what you want to do is, is we first of all we love the thirtieth. People say all the time, why don't you get New Year's Day? Well, in Nashville's you know New Year's celebration has gotten so huge. Uh, I think a lot of times, and this bowl was started too, by the way, to 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 get us, you know, get the hotels filled around New Year's. Well, now you don't have that problem, but I think it it helps them to be able to be on the thirtieth. And of course, the kickoff time is huge with that for the ratings, and and we love that afternoon slot. We think it makes a lot of sense. Um, 
Are you a, so I, as a board member? Mm-hmm. Are you a part of the group that would be pitching a potential college football playoff game here as a host? Yeah, if yeah. they expand, we, we've and we've had conversations. I think there are a lot of the the conferences would would love to see us be a college football playoff city. Obviously, you know you you've got limitations in terms of climate. Would love to have us a dome over there across the street or across the river. That'd be phenomenal, and uh, that'd be a fun conversation to have. But uh, to me, that's the only thing. That, that is holding us back. If we get a, a dome, I, you know, and I, and I don't want to speak for the Titans and I haven't talked ahead, to them. Go ahead, spend their money. Yeah, exactly. But, but if, if we're able to get, I mean, just, just objectively, if we're able to get a facility like what they've got in Indianapolis, okay, or, or, or some other similar city, then automatically, I think, based on what I've heard from others, as long as you're able to make the bid and so forth, you're on the rotation with a, you know, who are the major cities that have these things? Dallas and, and Atlanta and Indy and, and, and Tampa, you're you're in that mix because this may be one of the most popular cities. It probably is the most popular city in the country in terms of places that people like to come and have a good time, bring their family, and just it's roughly a two-hour flight if you can't yeah. drive here. And a lot of us take it for granted too. But but I mean, how many cities have got a major stadium located right next to the major entertainment district? No doubt, a lot of those cities don't have that. And and this is and plus in in, in Nashville, it's all in one big grouping. So it's it's not spread out. You don't have to jump on a bus to go to, to the tailgate parties or something like that. So it's it's we've got a great situation. Well, and here. you've got Indy who does not have a bowl game but will host the national championship Correct. game. Right. So then suddenly Nashville is in play for yep. a possible national championship game at some point, I, other I, big events. There would be a lot of sentiment for that. And, and, and you know, and I don't know what we would need to do to the stadium to get, that, get it in that mix. Do you have to put a complete dome over it? I don't know. I don't know the answers to that, but – um, I, th- I think as we go to the next iteration of the college football playoff, I think Nashville is certainly going to be in the mix. And a lot of that's because of the job that Scott Ramsey and his staff have done in the hospitality But here. is the idea that if there – just hypothetically, there's a college football playoff game here. Is that the Music City Bowl for that year, or is there two games? Could be. I mean, I mean, the, the semifinal games right now are the bowls themselves. Right. And then, of course, the championship game is its own thing. And and so, uh, you know, it could be. It just depends on what and, – and, and that's the other thing, too, as, as you've seen. Who knows what form the playoffs are? Oh, I know. You know we're going to have four. We're going to have 12. What are we going to have? And and Commissioner Sankey, I think, has been pretty clear last couple of weeks. I, you know, we're happy with four. And so, who knows what will happen? How we're ner- not happy were, were you nervous at all about Heupel and all the coaching movement this offseason? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and, 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 when did and it I, hit you? And I tell, I tell you when I was nervous about it is when, when my son called me and said, please, for the love of God, don't let him go anywhere <laughs> else. And I was like, okay, that's a good sign because I can tell you there's a lot of college football players around the country. They're going, please let my coach get out of here, okay? <laughs> uh, but I don't think you're seeing any guys in Knoxville feel that way. And that's, that's a real testament, I think, to what he's built there in a short period of time. Was this before or after Lincoln Riley left This was, at, this, was this was as soon as Lincoln oh, left. Okay. I mean, he called me and said, you know, there was a, there was a couple-hour time span, I guess, that Sunday after the Tennessee Vanderbilt game where – Vol Twitter just kind of went crazy. Are we going to lose him or not? And and, and it was funny. I mean, it, it was not funny at all because we've all been there, right? We've seen this stuff. Well, happen you're before. in the middle of it all. Well, with a well, solid team. but, it's but a it was bit different. It was like, uh, man, I, that would not be good at all because he is just <laughs> That's worst case. You're scenario. so excited about where this guy's got the program headed, but but I I feel like we're in good shape now. So the VolQuest guys have unsurprisingly proved powerless on mm-hmm. this, uh, and I'm going to go to bat for I'm going to go to bat for David Dennis Reed over here. I'll get a call uh, from Austin. Oh, here, I know exactly where you're headed. Here. <laughs> he uh, has spent a lot of uh, afternoons and evenings in uh, Knoxville, mm-hmm. um, emptying himself in uh, in a trough. 
And now that there is some construction going on, yeah. he really wants one of these. And he doesn't want it as a plant or anything like that. He wants to install it in his bathroom. And he knows I know, you're, plumbing to this. I know you're a connected yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm wondering if you could help him obtain a trough. We want a real use. Yeah. Oh, yeah, use. Nitty gritty. I mean, Reed oh, can yeah, speak this, for himself. I mean, this is strictly for utilitarian purposes on my <laughs> yeah, end. Not decorative. And there's been no movement since I talked to Brent last week. So Brent Hubs is dead to me. Oh, you, don't you, you are my new best friend if you make this happen. You're welcome for opening right. the door. So here's the deal. I, I duck hunt with a guy that's the, the greenskeeper there you know the the, the yeah. he takes care of the field i like where and, this is going uh, and, and and so darren you can put a text in D darren somehow always finds things like that they're getting rid of and there's this old room back there and underneath the, the catacombs of the stadium with you know where it's like a cavern that they keep some of that old stuff and and uh i don't know we'll see i mean I, it's, wow. it's worth an ask i mean i i can if, it, if it's that important to you, I think this I like, is a big this is, development. I love it. Everyone we'll thinks I'm joking. I'm uh. not joking. The most practical thing a man can have in his house is a urinal. And if I can have one out of Neyland Stadium, that would be, I mean, now his current, still better his current home couldn't fit this. Oh, no. This is for uh -uh. his next home. Yes. Hudson and I were recently at a house in Tuscaloosa, Alabama with a urinal in it. Yes, you are. Guys the uh, the Neyland Stadium troughs are just part of what makes college football so special, you know. Oh, by the way, I, I have seen – the uh, th there are other places in the complex where that we kind of keep other artifacts historical. You know the the beer barrel, the, uh, the Derek Dooley's orange dog. You know that's really there. there there's there's a it's place in this room in it, the catacombs. It's, it's, it, no, it's not in that room, but it's up in the complex. What about his I can take you right you to it. Wheelchair it does not have the wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, what about the stool he sat on? You know? The stool was great too. The, the, stool, the washcloth that stool. he used for the exhibition of how to how to wash yourself. I so mean, many dually artifacts. I'm telling you, we, we could open up a Smithsonian in Knoxville. <laughs> <laughs> the wheelchair. <laughs> I just never forget. David, that, if you get this, perch. I want to be over for the first P because I opened the door. David, I'm, I'm going to ask, man. I'm telling you, I'll ask. I'll, I'll ask. Hey, I'm thing. telling you, that's how you know. That's how you separate the men from the boys. Get them into a trough urinal. True friend. <laughs> Brad Lampley has been our guest, uh, one of our favorite people on the planet yes. right here. Uh, man. Uh, like, likewise, awesome. gentlemen. So happy for you guys and what you're doing, man. This is fun to watch and see you guys take off like this. And uh, one of us at the table predicted it, I'll just say. Yeah. Yes, and it wasn't us. It was not you. I don't know which one. It was not, it was not you guys. It There's was only one person at this table smart enough to predict. <laughs> you know the what I predict? I predict, I predict. I uh, predict a moonshine tasting with all four of us that right would, after the show. That would work. That would work. I would love that. And then a visit to the trough. Yeah, yeah that's right. To the trough. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see you guys. Thanks, thanks. Brad Lampley Appreciate has been it. our guest. We wrap up the show with some headlines across the SEC next on Outkick 360. Alabama dominating the SEC headlines today. We'll explain in a moment. Welcome back, Outkick 360, across the Outkick Network. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Trey Wallace and Armando Salguero, both of Outkick.com. Trey covers the SEC. Armando covers the NFL. They'll both join us, as they do each and every Thursday here on the show. Uh, the SEC awards announced today. Alabama with the Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, and co Special Teams Player of the Year, Chad. That's right. Bryce Young of Alabama, your Offensive Player of the Year in the SEC. Will Anderson, Defensive Player of the Year. Jamison Williams of Alabama shares Special Teams Player of the Year honors with Valus Jones Jr. of Tennessee. Coach of the Year, Kirby Smart, Georgia. Newcomer of the Year, Brock Bowers, Georgia. So, no surprise, two best teams all year in the conference. 
dominate those individual awards with Alabama and Georgia. Bit surprised by Kirby Smart winning coach of the year. No. I mean, in a way I am based on what we saw at Kentucky, Arkansas. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other coaches who would have been deserving the surprise coaches. Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee. I mean, um, I, I would think Josh Heupel got a few votes. I don't know. I, if I'm voting, Kirby did a great job. Um, and I, I'm not clouded by their loss in the SEC championship game either. It's just the dude has 19 five-star. It's like voting for Saban. Like, well, yeah. that makes going, you coach of the year fine. if you recruit all those guys. Well, this, no? this to me is always the debate with these coach of the year awards. You can go one of two directions. Pick the coach of the best team. Right. And say logically, coach of the year – because he coached the best team, he recruited the best team, and they were the best team all season long. Or who did the best And then it's the job. surprise. This guy took very little and made it into something, or it's, it's oftentimes a first-year coach you weren't expecting anything out of, or it's a, you know, a Sam Pittman that Arkansas doesn't always get a lot of play that, that exceeds expectations, but it's clearly not coaching the best team in the league. Right. Well, you could have made a case. I mean, you can always make a case, but you could have certainly made a case this year for Saban whose team was down a bit and rallied and beat the hell out of the team that was the team. If Saban wins the national title this year, it's his best coaching job ever. I, I sincerely mean that. Uh, I think at least since 2009 case. with his first at, at uh, Alabama in year three, they won a national title. I think that one and this one would be the two best coaching jobs ever for Saban because this team – the only way you were expecting an Alabama blowout in the SEC championship is just pure faith in Saban completely turning everything around because all evidence indicated Georgia was the better team all year. And Alabama had a superior plan. They played better, and they took it to uh, Georgia. And keep in mind, they were down 10 to nothing you know, to start this game against Georgia and ended up pulling away from them. Hot, I'm with you on somebody like Pittman if he had done slightly better. Yeah, I, I know. Slightly and I, I'm better. thinking through it like – I'm just thinking through of the good stories across the Southeastern Conference. Kiffin, and this is no – I think it's took, probably Mark Stoops second Stoops, this year. Okay. And I don't know the results of all the votes. But, you know, Kentucky, they, slipped, they slipped off in November, right? Like they're at Arkansas – Arkansas lacked that one massive upset. Slightly better. Right, along the way. They, they were good, not great, uh, but that's no knock at Arkansas. The way they started, they were the talk of the country uh, the way they started the season. So, I don't know. I, I would vote for someone other than Alabama or Georgia for coach of the year because I want the best coaching performance. And that's not to say that they're not great coaches. They are. But there were surprises this year that maybe deserve more – more recognition yeah, than what they got. I, I get what you're saying. And those two teams are getting their rewards with, with spots in the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kentucky, they had a three-game losing streak, right? They, they lose to Georgia. Time they had scored more than anyone had on Georgia in Athens. Then they look pretty bad against Mississippi State. Right. Lose 31-17. They lose the classic shootout against Tennessee in Lexington. But, I mean, they end the year beating Louisville, their arch rival, 52-21. And that game wasn't even that close. Yeah, but by then, the voters' minds are made yeah. up, you know? Because uh, if you're going to hand it to Kirby, like, we knew George, Georgia was expected to go undefeated during the regular season. I mean, that, that was... they beat Clemson. They achieved, they achieved their expectation. I would vote based on who exceeded expectation. And that would be Arkansas or Kentucky for me. Based on preseason expectations. Not not postseason analysis. You made a good argument, but they didn't get it wrong. Like there's no bad answer with Kirby Smart. 
I think Georgia fans truly need a month to recover from that beatdown in the SEC championship. They better game snap out of it before fast. They, they get, get beat into again, the college football playoff. If they get beat again, but that's how just that was so disappointing because now this was a team that should have won every game and won an SEC title and won a national championship. They just took one of those away, and now they could still win a national title. But I'm and Hutton, tell me if you think I'm wrong, but. That's the recovery that fan base needs from what we saw in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They need an IV. They were down. An IV and They were wins. as down as I've seen a fan base following that game. They were walking out. I mean, not just walking out. It was the fourth quarter. And the sec- the area we were in, um, I mean, the, the Georgia fans were just throwing stuff. They knew it was over. Before the game was over, they're they, still they in it. They took off it was early over. fourth quarter. A lot of them hit the exits. It was seventy percent Georgia in that dome, as you might expect. I mean, but it's home. Yeah, uh, Alabama's home. They've they've won sixteen straight games in Atlanta now. Alabama, the Crimson Tide, own Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and that's that's underselling what they've done there. Uh, fun show today. We are back at it tomorrow. In the meantime, if you missed a portion of the show, hit the podcast. Search us out. Outkick three sixty. Please, please don't block the box and do lock your locks.